Hello, welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I am presiding and conducting simultaneously. <laughs> um, today we have a special guest speaker um, coming in with a very, very biblical name, um, Sister Theatira. Theatira. It's beautiful. It's, it's a biblical city. Yeah. So that's a pretty cool name. And that's actually- pretty badass. Looking it up for this podcast to find the name, I found out there's a church called the Church of Theatira, so I didn't know about that. <laughs> oh, wow. They're not a sponsor, by the no, way. Listeners, they're not. They're not, we're not affiliated. It's, it's merely just a, fun fact. <laughs> it's merely a coincidence. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to have you long-awaited. Um, yeah. Theatira has kept me waiting as a guest for quite some time. I invited I invited this guest like nine months ago, more more like basically a year, and but now is the time. So the time is of the essence. You you're ready now. Um, yeah, so I'll do my silence my phone because it just went off. Oh, I couldn't hear it. So I mean, it didn't pick up. But yeah, it's it's a distraction. Yeah. So that's fair. So I'm gonna do the little intro. Um, where did you grow up? Were your family converts or not? What was their vibe? Early childhood. Fill us in. Introduce. Okay. So I grew up in California and Washington State in a very Mormon household. Um, my dad was a convert. Mom was a from a long line of members back to the sixth wife of one of the pioneers. Um, Damn. Yeah. Um, but our family made up of like six kids. I was the third. And we all were very devout, all very involved. And there wasn't any sort of like line of rebelliousness um, with any of my siblings or my mom's side of the family, except for like maybe one cousin or something. My dad's side of the family, they were, I don't know, they just loved their own. I think they were Southern Baptist and against the idea of Mormons. And so like... They never brought that up around our family, but I could tell that there was a little bit of a disconnect between my dad and his family, but I didn't pick up on that at all as a kid until almost recently that I was like, oh, I didn't realize that they hated Mormons until like last month. <laughs> Word. And so how how big is your family, per se? Um, extended or just, just the... Just your, yeah, your little pod. Oh, it's just a uh, mom, dad, and then five siblings. Okay. So like a, like a, not like a big Mormon family, but not a small Mormon family. Yeah. Like a, pretty a medium. normal. Yeah. I would say that. I would agree. I would agree with that. Pretty normal. Um, and so you grew up between those two places. And then I guess I'll just get into my little bullet points. Hee <laughs> hee. Mm-hmm. What was something that had initially bothered you or like a first red flag as someone who was raised in the church? What was the first little concern that popped up for you that you can remember? Yeah. So I did not know at the time I had OCD. And so uh, part of the diagnosis for me about being obsessively compulsed, um, as I would deep dive into the church hardcore about everything like I knew every scripture I had read the bible twice I'd read the book of Mormon like seven times by the time I was like probably 15 and so I would find and fixate on specific issues in the doctrine for weeks at a time until I could find a sufficient answer and usually the answer 
nosedive me into the next issue. And so pretty quickly, I was able to get through most of the things that I had issues with. Like I would just read as much doctrine as I could until I could be satisfied. And then I'd move on to the next thing. And so the things that I was bothered with that I couldn't find an answer would nag at me forever. And so I assumed uh, as a faithfully devout Mormon that I would find the answers. And I've made, I found a lot of comfort in like the, you know, the, what is it? The Jesus, there's a few books by members that were like, we have to search and like scratch at the kingdom of heaven and like find the answers and discover the mysteries. And God's not going to just give us the answers. We have to ask for it. And so those are like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, um, encouragement and so, for yeah, 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 for my obsessive behaviors. So <laughs> I, I wrote down the main issues that I could not find answers for. And those are the ones that stuck with me for years. And like, literally, I couldn't sleep at night for some of these things. Um, so main one was like gender definitions. Um, what made my gender divine? So like in the um, the family proclamation it's like you are your you know men and women are divine genders and then there was like nothing else besides mothers or women could be mothers and men should have the priesthood but i was like does that mean that you are not a sexually defined man until you receive your priesthood so does that mean that men who don't have the priesthood are asexual until they get it is it is a woman who has not had kids or can't have kids is she not a woman anymore like what is the definition like i need like a strict definition because i personally feel more on the not non-binary i did identify as a woman but i couldn't figure out why what about womanhood am i defining and we you know as a society we still don't have a clear definition because it's a societal construct um and so, <laughs> and so but but the church doesn't claim it's a construct they can they claim it's divine and that one i could never ever figure out what it what a genuinely divine woman even meant um and another um was why did god want us to thank him i found any gratitude praise or devotion like the Oh God, thank you so much that I can even breathe today, that I am allowed to live. I found that pandering and annoying. And I was like, why would you, like, I, I my mom doesn't ask me to thank her every day for birthing me. And if I'm an artist, I, I don't paint a painting and think, oh, this inanimate object that I made that, you know, is a beautiful painting. I, the only reason I created it was for it to thank me every day for bringing it into existence. And so that whole concept I didn't understand. And so I kind of, in my own little headcanon of the church was like, I think people made that up. I don't think God actually wants us to praise him all the time. So I stopped. I stopped doing that in my prayers. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it, it's weird because so many things are supposed to thank God for if God didn't give it to us, that would make God inhumane. And like surprise, bada boom, bada bing, God (laughs) is inhumane because some people don't have the very basics that you're thanking God for yeah, it's, it's deep critical thinking, but as you were, continue. Yeah, so that's that's a, another one that just kind of pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in retrospect because I don't think I super question that. In retrospect, I'm like, yeah, that's really fucking weird. <laughs> like, it's very and weird, it, and it, it keeps people in this state of like groveling, where I'm like, yeah. no, some things are a fundamental human right, and I accept groveling. that. Groveling or a that's living right one. that not even humans. Like cruelty, no one, no, no living thing deserves that. Period. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, 
Heavenly Mother. Like, there were scriptures that were like, man is nothing but the dust of the earth. And I was like, I'm sorry, God also created the dust of the earth. And it's beautiful. If you looked at dust under a microscope, it looks like diamonds. And you're telling me that humans are below another godly form and we're supposed to use us as a way of like shaming you into like praising God. I'm sorry. You just called me divine. (laughs) Made in God's image, yet you're nothing, yet you're germs. Like, what? That's like cult manipulation. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that. Yeah, so for sure. Continue, continue. Um, So another one was what would be included or excluded from heaven in the social kingdom? Because one of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. And that says the F word in it. Oh no, it's so unclean that she does drugs and has sex. But I have never cried harder than at the end of Forrest Gump and have felt the spirit as strong as when. (laughs) (laughs) So I was just like, what about art and culture and humanity and the depths of like pain and desolation that leads us to these unclean acts? But then to realize the compassion of Christ is too unclean for you and so if we can't have it now on earth if i can't listen to my rap music with swear words in it because they're talking about dismantling like the patriarchy if that's a problem now what are we going to be listening to in heaven like what (laughs) the hymns (laughs) (laughs) the The regurgitation of old tunes that (laughs) they took the you know credits away from because it's probably a black artist that you know we're not going to credit so like <laughs> oh my god and how amazing you know, the amazing grace controversy of why it's not in the hymnal shoot me in the face like i can't handle that the weird reasons mormons make up for why amazing grace isn't in the hymnal uh because so many of those hymns pretty much every mormon hymn except for like a few are just from other protestant faiths yeah so Anyways, continue. But we're unique. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So that was another one I was upset with. As a a very humanities, I wanted to be an actress. And now I'm an artist. I wanted to be a musician. Like, everything about, like, culture and art and the depths of humanity and pain. Like, those emo, you know? Like, (laughs) yeah. yeah. So I was upset about that. I didn't really want to go to heaven at that point. I was like, I don't know, man. I feel like social kingdom's not the place for me. Um, <laughs> sounds boring and lame. Yeah. Um, or, or it's not boring and lame and we're way too stringent on earth and don't understand heaven as the church is defining it. Um, it's okay. So then the next one was <laughs> if the church is true, um, why would it be something like, I, okay, let me put it this way. Universal principles are universal and they're constant. And so if you put any person on any part of the earth, at some point that culture will figure out math, that person, that those cultures will figure out science, they'll figure out medicine, they'll figure out art. There are certain just fundamental facts about the world that you'll figure out on your own, whether it's a society or by yourself. And I didn't understand how anyone could just figure out the Mormon church on their own without leaders instilling the rhetoric and so that to me was the biggest thing of like if it's eternal then you don't need the missionaries to knock on your door you will just figure it out and so i couldn't figure out any reason anyway that was that one bothered me i was like god should be given everyone visions if if visions are to be had (laughs) 
I mean, there's an ex-cult survivor. Um, I don't remember his name. Unfortunately, we'll drop it at some point. I can't remember his name. But he did, I don't know if he's the original person who has said this quote. But he basically has said, if God has the capacity to communicate directly to one person, God also has a capacity to communicate to everyone the exact same way. So why wouldn't God do that? Like, that's not efficient. You know what I mean? Like, that isn't efficient or effective. Um, this ex-cult survivor has a couple different YouTube videos on... Oh, I mean, I could find the source. The point is, um, yeah, I mean, he uses the analogy of, like, a, a building's on fire and the smoke alarm's going off, but it only goes off in one room. That's not efficient. You need to get everybody out of the building. So then yeah. those poor people that are in the building without a smoke alarm, no idea what's going on. They're condemned the, for no reason. They're condemned for no reason. And then the people who are in the room with the smoke alarm then have to go risk their lives to tell everybody else, oh my God, the, the building's on fire. And yeah. what could end up happening is everybody dies in the building because the ones that knew had to go tell everybody when wouldn't it be more effective if there was just smoke alarms in every room mm-hmm. and a big voice on the intercom that said, get out of the building. That's the analogy that this person uses. Um, and it sounds exactly like what you're describing of mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't this universal thing just be shared? I mean, cause you have things that are universal in the plant world and the animal world and to human beings. Like, like- not everyone has to be a mathematician, but every culture <laughs> should develop math at some point. Like- they all do. And they all do. And they all yeah. do. And every culture also def- develops their own code of morality that are often mirrored you know they have certain ways of behavior that is allowed or is it i mean there are exceptions to every rule but they're not you know it point is (laughs) there are universals so continue and the reason that didn't pull me out of the religion completely is because i couldn't figure out um if that was valid or if it was that there were enough promptings and enough prophets and enough guidance because I'm only existing in my world and I was a Mormon. Whereas like, if I wasn't an LDS, like could I in any time period naturally find it? I don't know. I'm not a convert. So I I didn't dwell on that because I can't speak for every person's experience on this planet. I just, that just kind of nagged. And then another one. (laughs) is uh one is what the fuck is up with heavenly mother <laughs> oh, here she is here she is <laughs> oh, there you are. Oh. <laughs> i came down after years of being suppressed and silenced and <laughs> here we are but i mean that's a fair point and it ties into your original question of like they talk about this being a divine woman and what does that even mean it they go together so the ambiguity of both of those things are clearly tied i continue yeah and then just, like, other small things. is like, why can't I have, you know, crazy hairstyle? Like, the, the, the first strength of youth pamphlet, I had the biggest beef with. because you got to hear the episode me and my sister did about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a two-parter because it's hilarious. But <laughs> yeah, because it's, like, it's not an eternal principle to not have a low-hanging shirt. It's not an eternal principle to not swear. It's not an eternal principle to not have crazy hair or to look a little bit gay or like these are not eternal principles. And I was like, if the prophet and, you know, the word of God is influencing this pamphlet, 
obviously I'm not getting it. <laughs> so I just like, but what does it mean? <laughs> Why is God not here for complete honesty when I said I had a fucked up day? Because that is the most accurate word I can use to explain it. And he's like, oh, but you need to rephrase because I don't like that word. Like what? <laughs> make it make make it make sense. Make it make sense. Yeah. Oh my god. So those are like the smaller red flags on my shelf that were like I'm still in it. I still have faith and I'm going to figure it out, but I am not going to sleep over these things. That's fair. That's fair cuz they are they're big. They're big things. But, I mean, the way that we're told as people that are raised in the church is so much of, like, don't voice your concerns. So, like, be quiet about it and, like, pray and God will answer you eventually. So. Yeah. And, like, did you ever... I was just like <laughs> to hold out for the answer at some point kind of person. <laughs> did you ever voice one of these to a priesthood leader? And if so, how did that go? Okay, so <laughs> I have a story. Yeah, oh, oh no, I deviated from my little bullet points. So tell Do us. You know the how story. like humans naturally develop sexuality, and it's actually sexual abuse to force your kid <laughs> into complete abstinence as a child. Yeah, we know that now. Psycho- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know the way the church is constantly doing that micromanaging everything you can't even touch yourself in a completely consensual environment where it's only you um, <laughs> you can't even think about touching you can't yourself even think about it. let's anyway, really yeah <laughs> really ride that home i i was a victim of basic biology and being a human and so i was constantly in the bishop's office being honest and admitting to every time i sinned because i was like i'm going to be right with god and honestly heartbreaking the fact that my natural human healthy sexual impulses were so demonized but you know props to me for uh, <laughs> admitting to a strange old man in a small room all of my sexual deviancies as a you know healthy person and um there's this one time i was really i was really done i was really done having to do this fucking routine of admitting every time i was a person and i was like so i talked to the bishop i specifically requested a meeting to talk to him and i was like hey the world has a very misguided and harmful definition of sexuality it doesn't um yeah truly yeah so why doesn't the church develop its own sex ed so that you can give the correct information it's not correct um (laughs) instead of leaving us all in the dark and then feeling bad about the influences that we do have which is the real world and i was really thinking i was going to change something here (laughs) (laughs) and my bishop basically said that that was an inappropriate thing to suggest that there is no reason why the church would ever come out with like sex ed pamphlets and that that is just like he he made me feel like fucking shit for even suggesting a really good idea. <laughs> it was too practical and it came from a mere woman that you just <laughs> I don't don't say the name, just a yes or no. Is this a bishop that I know? In the home ward, yes. Girl, I already knew it. I already knew it. I already knew it. I already, <laughs> knew, it. I already <laughs> knew it. I already knew it would be somebody that we that I would have from that area from that area so 
just for listeners, I did know um, Theteria. Wait, is that how you the- say it? Theatira. The- God, why is it so hard for me? Theatira. Not in our modern vernacular of way of spelling things. Uh, but I'm also just bad at bad <laughs> names. So it's, it's, I don't think it's a you thing. I think it's a me thing. But I did know this guest before. So, yes. Anyways, we and we knew each other. We were, yeah, we, were, we, we knew each other as members. Hardcore members. <laughs> and then we left. We, like, both left at the same time. And it was just a beautiful, wonderful experience. And then we both struggled, too, for a really long time. But, yeah, we saw each other as, like, True Blue members. And then the gradual metamorphosis. So that was a, that was a solid story. So, I mean, sounds like he just got angry because you were like smarter than him. Yeah. A little bit. bit. Yeah. They all do that though. So, okay. That's rude. Maybe some bishops don't, but yeah, I haven't met one. So <laughs> I'm sure they exist somewhere. And that's the hard part is I had some really good bishops in different wards that were really supportive and really understanding. And they still thought of human sexuality as a sin, but, like, in the best possible way that they could be a good bishop, they were. And so I had a lot of good experiences. Honestly, Fresno was not one of them. No, that's <laughs> why I asked, because that, that whole place... I mean, I used to have this joke when I was an active member, and it's not a joke. I would be like, Fresno's where testimony is going to die, and people would laugh. But now I'm like, thank God, because people need to be leaving the church. So, if, I mean, keep it up, Fresno. Stay toxic. Um, I, mean, I, I, I truly don't. I just said this to my mom today because I, I talked to her on the phone. I, I like try to call my parents every week because I'm adorable. Um, but I just, I literally just said this to her. I was like, I'm so happy so many people are leaving, but I'm always going to be sad for the people that stay no matter what. So I thought I was going to be one of those stay no matter what. I really did. Thank <laughs> girl, lucky stars that Let you. Me tell you. Oh. <laughs> I'm in a dimension right now. Sometimes I'll be like, this is my alternate self. There's another version out there that's still a Mormon. Oh my <laughs> God. Me and Sugarcane have discussed this. We have an episode that like ends abruptly where we're just like, yeah, like somewhere out there. <laughs> it just gets so sad. Because, so he and I came up with this idea. <laughs> This idea that, like, what if there's someone who is so similar to us, but they're still in, like, a doppelganger, kind of? Mm. Someone that's so, like, so similar to our personalities, what our passions or joys in life, and they're still in. And, like, well, if we could just go in and save them. Or, like, what the episode And then the episode just ends. We didn't even do, like, a closing in the name of it. It was like, wow. Anyways. So the, the things that you're thinking, I'm really, I thought it was just he and I, but I'm really feeling like a lot of ex-Mormons are feeling what you're feeling. Like It feels like I escaped the Matrix. It's, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and every day, like, ah, uh, that's one of the many, 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 many reasons I do the podcast. I don't always say this. It's like so quotable of me saying this. I always mention reasons why I do this. <laughs> no one cares. I just say it. Um, but it's because of that like it is so weird and I'm still processing and I'm also like really angry and I mm-hmm. always will be but I use my anger to motivate me to healthy things I say that also all the time but anywho's so it still feels weird to you should I ask my second bullet point yeah mm-hmm. all right what was a huge event that you're like wait a minute where it's it's not the final straw but it was like a big big tipping point like yeah. the middle of this story 
So it's a long story, and I got to get my dates right. So <laughs> <laughs> pull out your paper that you you practiced yeah, before. Yeah. So I I do need to have some like some context. So I have clinical depression, um, OCD, which was long undiagnosed, anxiety, um, issues with my sexuality. Oh, as you know. <laughs> say it like that. Yeah, no, no um, <laughs> I was in and out of the bisexual closet. I could not fully admit to it without admitting it was a sin at the time. And so because it was too painful to admit that I was a deviant child of God, I was like, no, I'm actually straight because I do like men. Um, <laughs> women are just beautiful. I have eyes. Everyone knows that. Um, and so in and out of the closet. But I... I I still knew that I was bi, but there were many periods of, like, hardcore, like, um, what is it called? Denial? Where (laughs) I genuinely convinced myself I was straight. And then, like, a month later, I was like, yeah, no, I'm bi. And then, like, it was back and forth. Um, So, uh, the things you can't go on a mission for are uh, being gay, uh, having mental illness, and not having enough money. And guess what? Ding, ding, me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I knew from a young age that, okay, I didn't know. I never thought about a mission. It had never crossed my mind to even think about going. People talked about, you know, all the little songs, all the little lessons about being a missionary. Never even crossed my mind that I would even go. Not a thought in the world. Um, So I was 14 when I got my patriarchal blessing. And um, in it, First of all, nothing about the patriarchal blessing even sounded remotely like me. I felt like I, they gave it to the wrong person. Um, which is, I've heard another common experience among ex-Mormons that have admitted that. Yeah, um, um, RFM, Radio Free Mormon, has a great episode on basically the patriarchal blessing scheme. And there's way more details about it. My sister, Mary Magdalene, um, has researched it. And she has, she compiled it, so I'm trying to quote her as best as I can from information she has told me from listening to that episode and then looking further into it. But I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong. So please listeners, correct me. Um, send an email. Um, the way that it is, is that there's sort of like a blueprint and then they kind of trade between each other. Mm. Um, so there's a website, I don't know what it is, but there was two different women who were guests on maybe Mormon stories or somewhere else who have an identical patriarchal blessing. And one of them was in Europe, one of them was in the United States. And they had an identical blessing. Holy shit. So you can, so some of it, so some of it's made up on the spot. Other parts are copied and pasted from other members at very, very different times in other places. What and did so, they tell the patriarchs? How do they buy into this? What we need, what we need, girl, is we need to find an ex-patriarch to come on one of these places, one of, one of these, whether you're coming to Air RFM, Mormon Stories, here, please, um, <laughs> love to meet you. We need them to explain exactly how it works because it's a little foggy, but a couple things do make sense. So one thing is that patriarchs are patriarchs for the rest of their lives. So they yeah. can't get a different calling and out the secret. There's that. Right. They're like kind of sworn, like it's like they're sworn to secrecy, um, just by default. And then another thing is that as Mormons, we were never supposed to share each yeah. our patriarchal blessings. 
And I had a roommate share hers one time and it made me uncomfortable. And also I was listening to it and I was like, that ain't you. Like, that's nothing like this woman that I, that I know. And it wasn't like a dig on her or anything like that. I was just like, that's not like fucking approval. Like this isn't this person. Sometimes the warnings and the guidance and the help, like they just don't even apply. Nothing. And and it was listed off her gifts and she, she's she's a solid person. Like she does have gifts, but I was like, I never would have, like, I just wouldn't have. Um, And so there is a whole system as to how that's done. So when you said, I think they give it to the wrong person, uh, kind of, yeah, kind (laughs) of. I, I was somebody, because I got mine at 12, where my blessing felt super applicable to me and felt like, I mean, it was my lifeline. It's what I held on to. It was one of the final things I needed to let go of to really realize mm. the church was a scam. And that episode on Radio Free Mormon helped me do that because they explained, like, no, it is a scam. It just like, so it, happens to align with some people. Exactly. I was just I just got lucky and it fit. Or unlucky. Um, exactly, because it, it kept me in longer. Um, and then it's wild, like, the way that that blessing can keep you. Continue. As you yeah. Well, because one of the things in it was saying that the uh, commandments of God are easy as long as you set your mind to it. And that is, first of all, fucked up to say to anyone. Um, yeah. But I was like, okay, so me falling victim to, like, sexuality is because I didn't make my mind up. Bitch, I am in the bishop's office every week. Anyway. So like, <laughs> yeah, that's so, I mean, we're, I mean, this is, we'll make it funny because it's so grim, but it is no <laughs> surprise why so many gay and bisexual and trans and other sexuality people that are not heteronormative take their life in the church. Yeah. It's not a surprise to anybody. Because it's actually I mean, your fault, you know? It's yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, this fundamental thing about you that is also reduced purely to sex when it's more than that. It's really a longing. It's so much deeper. Yeah. Um, God. <sighs> the way. <laughs> the way. Any, we'll get into that. That's a whole other topic. But yeah. the rhetoric and the psychology behind the way that the church functions and the way that it demonizes non-heteronormative behavior is so telling it's a it's a little throw up emoji and then it's so telling (laughs) it is so telling to how they actually in fact view women and i'll explain oh why did we go down the rabbit hole we just jumped in together here we are we (laughs) held hands we went down together like alice wonderland i'll explain the way that they talk about sexuality for people who are not heteronormative is just the sex part it's a sexual sin you're sexually attracted yeah it totally diminishes the fact that non-heteronormative people when you fall in love with someone and you and you have sexual feelings for that person it's so much more than just sex it's a longing it's a companionship it 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 truly is a longing for that person in every way you love every little it's compatibleness Yes, it's this, it's this, or, or that little quote, like you find someone's collective weirdness and then you're just weird together. And and it's deep and sexuality is, is a part of that. Um, if you are someone who has a sex drive, some people don't, they're asexual yeah. and go you and they still have love and companionship, rock on. Um, but in this context where sex is a part of it, that's what I'm referring to. I just want to be inclusive. Yeah. Um, the way that they reduce it to just that, like it's sexual sin, just stop it. Like I'm going to slap my hand, like, like just stop. <laughs> like, yeah. Totally is like, Oh, so if that's what you think sexuality is, heteronormative sexuality must be that simple to you too. It's just a, 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 
a service or function that a, a man and woman have to perform for each other. Yep. And not even because it's, it's not about what her, cause we're not really people in the church. Right. Women don't actually orgasm. <laughs> exactly. Oh God. And it makes too many Christmas. This is not the first episode. We brought up the female orgasm. So it's come back again. She's looped around. Here she is once yeah. more. Cause they can come up more than once. <laughs> um, so but that's the way that they demonize sexuality of non-heteronormative people totally speaks to fundamental beliefs they have about heterosexuality, which is... That's so sad. She's that's just so a puss. So gross. I know, I'm screaming. But it, it totally, once you make those connections, because if they're unable to empathize with a gay man or empathize with a lesbian woman or empathize with a bisexual person or any of the other umbrellas that are under you. It's, it's a continuum. Um, then it's like, Oh, so you don't actually long for and love women. You don't really long for and love your wife. You're sexually attracted to her. And that's it. I know. Right. So deep. I know. I don't even think we're going to go there. Uh, eternal principles repeat themselves. So if you have one rhetoric and one direction, it's going to like bounce back and forth. Girl, the circle is complete. Anyways, as you were, so this huge shelf moment, continue yeah. on the mission. So I never <laughs> thought it would be a mission. My patriarchal blessing said I would go on multiple missions for the church. And I was like 14 being like, oh, I thought, okay. <laughs> and being, you know, devout and faith and like, okay, I guess this is, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking when someone tells you something about your future and you believe in them and you're like, I didn't have any space for that because I had no ambitions to do that. And now I have to fit it in. And so it was from 14 to 19. I kind of just put it off in the back of my head of just like, so, okay. So I made a pact with God. I was like, all right, Jesus (laughs) Christ. (laughs) I have depression. I have, I, I also have sensory issues. I can't hear people eating if I'm alone with them and I'm not eating. Even then, sometimes if I'm eating and they're eating, I still have issues with them. And I'm going to be alone with another missionary for 24 hours a day for two years. Mm-mm, mm-mm, I'm going to kill myself. So <laughs> sensory issues, depression. I was probably a little gay. Um, still denial about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, our family was poor. Ain't no way we were going to cover it. And I was like, Hey God, if you can fix all four things by the time that I am of missionary age and you say, drop everything and go, I'll drop everything and go. Just tell me when, but I'm holding out faith that you're going to fix it because I sure as fuck can't. And you know, without Christ, all things are possible. So we're going to put that to the test. You're going to (laughs) figure this out because I'm doing everything in my human power to already deal with all those things. I'm already in denial about being gay. (laughs) I'm already going to church about having my sexual sins. I'm already going to every single meeting. I'm learning everything in the Bible. Like, I am your perfect missionary, except for I have, like, three fundamental things that aren't even allowed in the handbook of the missionaries. Like, I just, like, not my job anymore. (laughs) So I put that off my shoulders, and I was like, if you want me there, you're going to get me there. Have fun with that. You're all powerful. So then I'm 19, I'm at the temple, you know, my bi-weekly temple visits. <laughs> been there, been there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm walking around the building and I swear, I, I still can't explain this. I heard God's voice say, drop everything and go. Like I heard it. Like it was 
Audible. It was, it was real. And like, that's another part is like, I literally heard another voice say this. Was I hallucinating? I don't even want to get into that. (laughs) So so I was like, all right, time to go. And so I was um, in college at the time. I was pursuing a degree in acting, which was not bringing me any joy, but I wasn't going to admit it because I wasn't going to lose. Um, (laughs) We'll unpack that later. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, well, finish out the semester. It was spring semester. And I'll just not apply for next semester and I'll go on a mission. So I didn't apply for next semester. And over the summer, I um, got everything together. I got doctor's appointments, um, church appointments, trying to fundraise, like everything you could possibly do to get ready for the church. I did it so fast. Like, um, (sighs) trying to remember if it was the summer of 2019 or 2018, but either way, getting things done. And, um, it, the only holdup, everything was cleared. The only holdup was the bishops. And it was because we were poor and because I had no job living in California. God forbid a 19 year old can't have a job because I don't have 10 plus years of experience, um, or a connection to get a job in that place. Um, yeah. And, my bishop said, which you know the one in the same He said that I needed to support the funding to my bishop to my mission and that I needed to do my due diligence to get me there. Like I hadn't oh oh here's another thing. I had been paying twice the amount of tithing for a year because of how poor our family was. The meager slim income that I could make from babysitting, I was buying those miracles because I was like, our family's so fucking poor, we're going to die. Um, <laughs> and so instead of, you know, contributing monetarily, my, you know, meager $10, maybe once a month, I was given $2 in. So <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, I have been contributing to this ward's money. Why can't they contribute it back to me? And so it was like a year, an entire year. So it must've been 2018. Cause it was, it wasn't until 2020. So it was like a whole, so 2019, the entire year I was trying to beg people for money for donations or trying to get a job because my Bishop would not let me get funding from the church. Um, even though Every, any other bishop would have allowed it. Like, there are people who get, go on missions from the church's funding. It's not like it's against the handbook. That's what it's for. Um, but he wouldn't let me go. Um, and so I was every day constantly obsessively worried about living with another person and a stranger in a strange environment with different sensory issues and not being able to listen to music or watch my movies or be alone. And the whole concept of the mission sounds like literal torture, um, depression, can't get any money. My mental health went on the biggest spiral it's ever gone. Um, and I've been suicidal. <laughs> so I, yeah. This um, was worse. This like... was worse. <laughs> this was like, I don't know if I, not even do I want to live. It's like, I don't know if I want to exist at all, like in, in this environment where I have to force myself to go on a mission, I was going to fail. I was going to, yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, I was a shell of a person. I couldn't function at all. So I finally got a therapist and I don't know who I need to thank, but that therapist was a 
life-saving person. <laughs> um, incredible slay. Um, <laughs> she was so patient and just listened and validated. And she didn't really give anything for me to do because that's not what I needed. Um, but she just, for about four months, this was in 2020, COVID! happening and it is the least of my concerns Damn. <laughs> like, yeah no the, for real yeah mm. um, that just I, puts it into perspective though how serious it was yeah and and another uh i guess disclaimer is that my parents are both pro-trump and my mom's anti-vaccine as much as i would love to have been the perfect embodiment of the sanitate sanitized and mask wearing individual i was not and i did not have a supportive family or environment or even the mental health to do so. So I uh, sincerely apologize if, you know, that is offensive <laughs> to have my personal life experiences get in the way of a mass epidemic that is everyone's responsibility to help. But anyway, that it can, can't change the past. So we forgive um, you as a collective. As <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Mother, I speak on behalf of all my children. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, did, I did do my part. I I, if I was required to wear a mask, I would, whereas my mom would rebel until someone told her not to. So at least I wasn't that bad. Yeah, um, no, I know what you mean. Continue. <laughs> so uh, anyway, working with it took four months for me to even admit the idea of not going on a mission. Just, just four months to even put that on the table of not going. And I cried like, like, like the amount of relief and like, oh my god, <laughs> I'm gonna be okay, it was insane. And so I was like, okay, that's clearly my answer. Um, so I'm not going. And I did the whole, I gave money back to people who would be willing to accept their donations back, the people who were like, oh, just keep it. I was like, I wrote like, you know, thank you cards. Um, I made sure that like, I don't know, all the things you can do to gracefully <laughs> leave the notion that you're going on a mission um i did and pause we ran out of time so i'm gonna do it again i'm gonna make a new room so we're gonna do a part two okay for whatever so... reason zencaster isn't letting me go for over an hour anymore okay so we're gonna hold that thought i'm gonna make a new window so so with the mission being off the table I was looking for something else to do with all my time and started going back to school and taking classes. Um, but during COVID, it was just online classes. Um, but then some friends who had moved to Utah um, were like, hey, we have a room. You should come room with us. And I was like, perfect opportunity to leave. I still asked like questions about the school and like, you know, all this kind of stuff, but pretty quickly made a decision to move down there. And these were friends that we've had for like four years, really close with their family. They're really close with our family. But like the moment I moved in with them, uh, it got really toxic. She was dealing with some mental health problems and instead of like communicating, they just were very like, they wouldn't talk to me, they wouldn't interact with me. And so I had to come home as like, not even like roommates when we used to be really good friends, but like strangers. And so it was a lot of tension in my house um, away from my parents. She was also questioning the church, um, but in a very toxic way. Not that I'm judging any ver people's way of <laughs> questioning the church, but it was just like a lot of angriness that I was not ready to process. Um, that's her own journey. And then also there's the cultural shock of uh, the difference between other 
States Mormons and Utah Mormons. I'm very different. Oh my and- God. <laughs> uh, why we do what we do for real. One of the umpteenth reasons that I say per usual is yes. We'll, we'll get into that. Continue. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was very stressful because it was a new place and they were not kind. Um, and these were again, friends of like five years, um, three, three to five years. Um, and so I was very stressed and anxious and upset. And the more I prayed and the more I did like delved into the church, I still wasn't getting anything. In fact, it was making it worse. And then I had this constant question in the back of my head of why did following the God's prompting fuck me up so much? Why would, why was obeying causing my mental health to deteriorate? Why did it detract my schooling for two years? Why did it, you know, like what was the point? Because if he wanted me to change my major or if he wanted me to move, or if he wanted, like, he could have just prompted those things. He didn't have to prompt about the whole fucking mission. He could have said, oh, you need a therapist to find that good therapist. Oh, you need to change your major. And I'd have changed my, like, there were so many other ways to go about it. And so my first line of thinking was like, God must be really fucking stupid if he's going (laughs) to like go with one prompting that leads to all these actions, but also an incredible amount of cons as well and issues. Um, when he could have done something else, like I was faithful enough, I was obedient enough, I would have done anything. I literally did anything. Um, and so then uh, it still took, there's a lot of drama with the housing situation. I'm not going to go into that, but it took another year for me to be uh, in a space where I could let go of the church. Um, or at least another, I think it was a, I think it was like eight months because I'd moved there in December and then it was around the start of the next school year. So like around August, um, I was just, just barely beginning to think, Hey, maybe not going to church is a good idea. (laughs) Um, and so I just tried it out because I was being very frustrated with the things that the, I don't know if I want to say the Mormons were saying at church or the Utah Mormons or a combination of all the, the above, but I was not feeling comfortable in places where clearly a lot of white privilege, clearly a lot of just privilege in general, a lot of things that they said were insensitive and they had no idea. And it was backed up by doctrine. And I was like, I know this is like a different environment than California, but these things could still also have been said in California. It was just everything I didn't like that people would say at church happened all the time. Um, And so I was like, I'm gonna take a break. So I <laughs> mean this entire time of being fucked over by the whole mission thing and moving and being stressed out and questioning church, I was still reading the scriptures for an hour every single day and I didn't stop. An hour every single day without fail, did not skip a day because <laughs> I was that OCD. It's not because I'm better than anyone else. It's because I had clinical OCD. And so um, I was talking to my mom about it, who was also, you know, hardcore Mormon. And even she said, maybe you should stop reading because it sounds like it's causing your anxiety. And I was like, why well, I can do that? <laughs> I'm allowed to just like do what's good for my mental health. So I stopped reading and let me tell you, immediately I was able to sleep better. I had less anxiety. And then when I chose not to go to church just for a little bit, I never went back (laughs) because every single week that I didn't go to church, my mental health increased. Now, 
there were also sound effects of missing it. And there was like a lot of everything was triggering me. Everything was making me feel guilty about leaving. And so it was a mix of this is the be- this is the right decision. I know it's better for me, but I have a lot of repercussions from how much the church was influencing me in all of my decisions. So I went and saw a therapist who she was also an ex-Mormon. I really wanted to have another ex-Mormon help me. And uh, she was incredible. What helped me through it. I was with her for an entire year. And the next summer, it's so long. It's in years, man. Like, <laughs> um, but that next summer, um, I also got into a fight with my mom. She was even more spiritual while I'm despiritualizing. So that there's a lot of conflict between us. Because every time we would call, she just wanted to talk about the new scripture verse that she was meditating about and I was like I'd rather talk about literally anything else um so I stopped talking to my mom stopped talking to um anyone in the church um and then really worked on therapy and got all the proper diagnosis and yeah (laughs) I'm out I mean my records aren't removed yet but I'm out (laughs) praise be I was kind of thinking I love that statement of this took years because what's really, really wild is whether you're raised in the church, but especially if you're a convert, even if you're a convert, it can take years to leave. Look how fast it gets people in though. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Isn't that scary? It reminds me of like the difference between breaking a bone versus healing a bone. Mm -hmm. You can break a bone in a second, a millisecond, half a second, takes months to heal. The church is like that. It can rope people in in a matter of weeks. Yeah, it is. But it still takes years, at least months. But everyone we've ever had on this podcast and every ex-Mormon I'm friends with, it does take years, at least months. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the quiet stream. Um, so if you were to pinpoint one specific, the straw that broke the camel's back, what would it be? Um, God's omnipotence and eternalness was shattered when he fucked up and gave me the wrong um, prompting. And so either I or whatever universe influence made me think that I had that prompting um, was the bat. The result of that was me leaving the church. And if it was a god of a different religion, he that entity could have also just said leave the church. I don't know, man. I don't like. <laughs> but it was just that that prompting was the only thing that came out of it was leaving the church because I couldn't even say like anything else positive because everything else positive I did. I went to therapy. I did all the work, but everything I did in obedience to that prompting fucked me up. And I had to take care of it. <laughs> so. That's fair. Um, I think about this too, and I've spoken about it, is the way that I suffered as a faithful member of the church post-mission. Like, that was the most unpleasant time of my life. And that was before the pandemic. Like, that was before several other things were hard in my life. But just that experience of trying to do everything right, 
Being at B- I was at BYU Idaho for my hell experience. You were in Utah, so I mean, same, <laughs> same place, same place. Utah and Idaho is where religion goes to die. <laughs> yeah, Arizona. Though, throw that one in there too. Little pockets elsewhere, but that phase of my life, I look back on it now and I think, like, how the hell did I get through that? Because mm-hmm. it was so lonely, um, and. I would try to do the right thing and just being so unhappy, but not having the tools to pinpoint what was making me unhappy. What commandment was I breaking? <laughs> exactly. It always, it always falls back on you as the person. Yeah. And then something that I think that the church does to everyone, but especially to LGBTQ plus people, it does to everybody. The church hones in and focuses through the power of gaslighting and like nurse ratchet level manipulation. If you've read Run Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, the book's kind of sexist trash, but the movie's really good. Um, there's good parts of the book. It's like this master way of manipulating people where it's through like this like nice evilness per se, but the church gets you to focus on what you don't have, mm. on what you're lacking. Right. And then has the backhandedness and the sneaky littleness to say, like, but be happy where you are, but choose happiness, but enjoy life. But it's enough. But but you're always reminded of the things that you don't have. And it doesn't even matter what you do have. And they say the backhand thing was like, count your blessings. And then the next second is serve oh, a mission. Oh, you're not grateful enough. <laughs> Yeah, the the next thing is to serve a mission or get a spouse or have a child or have another child or get a degree or have this calling or it's all make sure every single one of your associates and friends has been invited to a church function at least once a month. So you're alienating any other out like external social life because you're constantly thinking about, oh, did I bring my book of Mormon? Did I bring my pamphlet? Which is a horrible thing to do. There is no reason why anyone should be doing that kind of advertising on a in their personal life. Like I can understand in your um what do they call it now? Ministering assist like assignments. In your ministering assignments is the place for that. As much as the church has its flaws, that's the place for that. Your personal life at your personal barbecue event with your, you know, your friends, not the place. And then you're constantly feeling othered because that's the only thing you're allowed to think about when you're around them. And then you praise everyone who does alienate their friends by being a constant Mormon or a missionary. <sighs> yeah, that was also, I, I never did that. that. I will say of all the things that I was obedient, that was not one of them. I was... I think I ministered to my friends in like elementary school and I was like, this is dumb. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I was, I'm saying as you, I was never completely comfortable with it. It felt non-consensual. It It felt like I was pushing this on them. And then now, um, and it probably will have dropped by now. I talked about it with my husband. I see so clearly now what you're describing is the church is not spirituality because actual spiritual people are people that are in a spirituality, in a actual faith, not a cult or not even a church, which is a faith. It's a little bit of their essence. It's not their 
their whole world, their everything. It's, it doesn't all consume them. It literally just is their spirituality. And if it's really important or kind of dogmatic, it is connected and sprinkles throughout, but it doesn't take them over. You know, it can inspire them. Um, like, if you want to go see a movie on Sunday with a group of friends, there's no internal moral conflict if you're in a good place with your spirituality. Because you're like, well, yeah, that's not going to harm me because I know what I'm doing. And so, you you know, you go see that movie and you go do your heathenistic activities. And then you come home from the end of the day and you're like, yeah, I'm right with the universe. Cool. Okay. Like, <laughs> but like, you know, heaven forbid, <laughs> you're in charge of your own spirituality. So... <laughs> God, and just the way as Mormons, when you're young, I feel like we're always telling people what we can or can't do. You know, I can't go to that birthday party. It's on a Sunday. I can't drink that coffee or whatever the fuck. And it's so dumb. But I did want to ask because I think it's important. And I have a little nugget to share about it. (laughs) How did, because you're a creative person. You said that you're an artist. How was your art affected pre-Mormon, post-Mormon? Was was there a change at all? Tell us about that as an artiste. I don't think the actual art changed be, um, as connected. Like, and there might be some correlation, but most of my art has been flourishing from my teachers and from my experience. Um, but I do think that my consumption and the way I interpret other people's art for my use of inspiration uh, has changed because without all these rules, I don't feel inhibited to go see something that is, you know, um, shocking because it's pornographic because the artist is sending a message and and being able to in- internalize that 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 meaning without without questioning if it's like inappropriate for me to look at it because I'm an adult and I know how to be an appropriate functioning adult um, or watching an R-rated movie and, and not letting these like, you know, small rules affect the other art and experiences that I um, can, you know, safely consume and then draw upon for my other, you know, art. So I don't know if the art itself changed. I definitely stopped doing any sort of like religious drawings. I used to try and I, I thought about doing religious artwork and I was not very good at it and I just gave that up completely. Um, but I think it's less about what I create and more about what I consume that has changed a lot. So I think your artistic side was probably your authentic self that helped push you out. Because according to, there's a lot of cult experts who really do believe that there's an authentic us and then there's that like cult persona through the power of being abused and beaten down that we develop. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a little fun tidbit about Mormon artists and artists as Mormons um, based off of other conversations with other little exmos. He, and it rang true for me. So as a child, I developed a coping skill that I now know is, disassociation and maladaptive daydreaming. And I wasn't aware that that was a thing until recently. Some of the stuff though, like I feel like TikTok, everybody has D, everybody disassociates, everybody's autistic, everybody's maladaptive. (laughs) But um, if you have a professional, if you have a therapist in your life or a psychologist in your life, they can really lay out the criteria of what it is. Um, And just because you meet some criteria doesn't mean you have the diagnosis. I'm kind of self-diagnosing 
I happen to be a mental health worker, so I'm going to use an excuse, but really, you know, seek actual professional. <laughs> but anyways. It also um, manifests itself differently with different people, so. Exactly. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, but I would walk, like, as a little, little girl, I would walk around in circles and, like, pace around and mutter to myself, but I was talking as the different things in my imagination. So it probably looked really creepy, but I was like doing that maybe around five. So it might have happened when I got diabetes. Might have happened before. I don't know. But when I was in high school and middle well, not really middle school, but high school and in college, I used to go on walks by myself with an iPod and just daydream. Just so plot lines, books, novels. I had like a tr- I had trilogies going. Um, and I would on my mission and after my mission. And they were elaborate, like these were like screenwriter quality <laughs> stories. They're, none yeah. of them were very original though, but they were like, I think still creative, but very all consuming. And there's also prominent Mormon authors, won't drop names, who write these amazing immersive novels um, that are universally appealing, like very successful books. Um, and the Mormon church is so all consuming, but I did really think about it because a lot of people wonder why that is like these Mormon authors and artists are able to create these whole worlds while still being super Mormon at the same time. How does someone do that? And I now realize that that creativity was a coping skill because you know what I never had in any of my trilogy miniseries length fantasies. I never had the church in any of them. Mm. And if you think about those authors, I won't name their names. The church isn't in theirs either. It influences the work and you can see it. You can almost analyze the work thinking an ex, you know, a Mormon wrote this, but I there's mean, no a, Joseph a twi- Smith. Why hard? Yeah. Where read Mormonism and Stephanie Meyer's work. Yeah. You can read it in, but she doesn't put it in the way a Mormon. It's not explicit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I used to remember, I used to remember trying to censor some of the, the maladaptive daydreaming to fit a more Mormon message or Christian narrative. Um, Cause the church is just all consuming like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I just thought I'd share that little tidbit. Cause that's my, my personal belief is that one of the reasons Mormons are so creative is because it's an escape, an appropriate mm-hmm. escape from the mental torture that is being a member. What are your thoughts? So I have I have two different types of artwork that I do. One is for the public and one's for me. Um, although the one for me is sometimes for my friends too, because um, I really enjoy drawing like slutty fan art. Like, <laughs> it's so fun. And I did not feel comfortable doing that at all when I was in the church. Uh, Cause it's super inappropriate. Um, but now that I'm out, like that has definitely changed, but like nobody sees it. Cause it's like, <laughs> uh, it's for me and my friends. Oh, I don't even post half of it, but like my actual artwork is, you know, that's been not like always appropriate. Cause I don't feel like the type of artwork I do is necessarily anything against the church would say anyway. Um, except for my political work, but that's just because I choose to put certain messages in them. But um, my personal hobbies that are just for fun and they're just for me and they just make me happy are definitely uncensored. 
um, and have made me so much happier <laughs> to uncensor them because it's, it's like, it's, you know, I, I think it's a real shame to, um, censor and vil- vilify and demonize, um, sexuality and connection because, I mean, I could have an entire podcast about my thoughts on sex, <laughs> um, but it is an escape. It is a coping mechanism. The reason there's like, you know, the BDSM community and there's like different kinks and fetishes is because it's a breakaway from the laws of society in a safe way where you can, you know, explore different avenues of life without it being real, without it being um, real consequences. Like you could, I don't know, you do like power dynamics. Let's say you're the boss, but you're sick of being a boss. But so temporarily, you know, you want to be submissive. And so it's just like, it's a way to play and enjoy different aspects of life. And I think it's fascinating. It was always fascinating to me. Um, But in the church, it was fascinating in the sense of why am I so messed up? Whereas now it's like, oh, I'm actually just a cool person. And I'm really fascinated by a lot of things. (laughs) So... um, I feel like I went on a whole ass tangent. What are we talking about? <laughs> no, that's totally okay. That's totally okay. I'm just asking about the art and the, I think oh, yeah. the creativity of ex Mormons and Mormons that are still in, cause it does manifest differently. And also the storylines that I had that I was like, man, I'm going to make these novels. One of them had like a huge plot hole that I never noticed, but like 14 year old me, you know, came up with it. Um, and it was very much a like vampires and werewolves were in it. And it was, it was very much of that time of that era. Um, and so many of the characters were pretty much just like me, but now Mm -hmm. I understand that was my way of coping by imagining a world in which the church didn't have to be a part of it. So after you left the church, did the storyline change or did it get more intense or was it like, that's a good question. I don't maladaptive daydream anymore. Um, it went away before you left. It stopped when I left. Oh, it just did. Just, it it naturally kind of slowed down and petered out. out. Yeah, literally, it slowed down hard and, like, petered off when I left BYU-Idaho, but then I just had a regular disassociation without maladaptive daydreaming, and that was freaky. I dissociated really hard because I had a stressful job. I worked at the group home. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And so I would, and other people would notice it. They're like, you're like here, but you're not here. And I'm like, I don't know. How, and they get like mad at me. And even my, yeah. Even my boss was like, your cheery little self. Like what happened to that? And I'm like, I'm fucking trying. But yeah. you, when you actually like, when people are young and they see, say things like, oh, I just tune them out. I could never could do that. Cause you really can't turn it on and off. If you have disassociation as a mm-hmm. coping mechanism, as a defense mechanism, you really can't, I cannot turn it on. I cannot turn it off tuning people out was, wasn't a choice. Um, and so I really stopped, like it really, really stopped. And then it stopped completely. I didn't even do it during the pandemic, which you would think, right. You would mm-hmm. want to escape somewhere mentally. But once I was out, one thing that has suffered is I really don't do slam poetry anymore. And I used to be oh. super good at that. Yeah. 
I mean, I wrote one for my husband, but I've never performed it. Um, but also, as you know, because this has happened to you too, when you leave the church, you also feel emotions more fully too, because there's no censoring of anything anymore. And so it's hard for me to put certain experiences to words where I used mm-hmm. to have the ability to do that as a Mormon um, through poetry, where now, like, I can't. And some of my poetry had Christian themes and uh, Christian imagery. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, I didn't even fucking notice that. But it just did. Cause Christianity yeah, was cause that was your language at the time. Yeah, that was, that was my paradigm. That was my world. Um, and that one poem in particular that I think of was about an LDS woman. I'm a convert and it's her story that I tell through a poem. Um, she's a genocide survivor, but that has suffered, I would say, but then also poetry, a part of your rebellion, like internally that you didn't know about or like, was it just like maybe cause the church was like, you know, this oppressive weight that was like your way of uh, dealing with it as well like the two two coping mechanisms i think so um because i developed it at BYU idaho i developed it in college and i was good at, i mean i won competitions so i was good at it um and then i never pursued it professionally because i didn't really like the slam poetry world you're mm-hmm. right it totally was just to cope because i would once i left i didn't really Feel do it yeah, I didn't really feel the need. Yeah. And there's certain things that like, so one of the things too about my poetry was it would never be hyper personal. Always be about other people. Yeah. And I was thinking about this last night, um, how I don't know if I have it in me to write a super personal poem. Cause there's so many big things that I just am feeling and I'm just processing just as they are like there isn't even a fancy way to to cope with that like I did end up doing a little bit of poetry when I was still in but struggling um and it was a poem that was kind of personal and my mind has chosen to forget it because it was too Mm. it was too painful it was about sexual violence against Native American women and how Mm. patriarchal churches don't do anything about it Obviously, super personal. <laughs> it's my yeah. fucking life. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, the calls from inside the house, um, <laughs> and I don't remember most of it because I think my brain is like probably protecting you. Yeah, protect is thinking about it's too painful. Yeah, I was like really thinking about it. Like I was really sitting with what it is like as an indigenous woman, a Native American woman, in a very unsafe world for us. Last yeah. night, I had no poetic words, just. Damn that! What a rabbit hole! How do we yeah. get? Here? How do know. we get? Here? <laughs> but I mean, I feel that like okay. So talking about emotions and leaving the church, um, it is it is uh, a lot of it <laughs> because um, and my therapist is incredible helping me sort through all of this because it's a lot of pain, and I think a lot of the pain about leaving the church is not so much like. Okay, I'm going to talk for my experience (laughs) Um, and not in the universal. For me, I had very little anger about the church being this, you know, they're oppressing me and they like, you know, ruined my life and took all these years away from me. My, My biggest beef was that it wasn't true. That 
sucked <laughs> so bad that the thing that I had been putting all of this energy and time into and these scriptures and these doctrines and these works of art and documentation that I had been pouring over and had accepted as truth and accepted as universal principles was fake was devastating it's like finding out isaac newton's laws of gravity were was just a way to placate you like okay but now i got now i gotta reconstruct and go back to the basics and start over with kindergarten and be like all right so what is true and that i'm not gonna cry but like that still sucks (laughs) um and so that was like the hardest thing that I had to work through. And that was where most of the anger was. It's like, how dare you not be true? Um, and so I couldn't even listen to this podcast or other podcasts because I was like, I'm not mad at the church for existing. I'm mad that it it wasn't true. And I, I can't like, I can't hear about anything more it did wrong because I haven't processed the part that it's not true yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to hear about Joseph Smith. Cause I, like, <laughs> I don't even, I don't want to even hear about it. Like, I'm, I'm so done. Like, and so, um, after dealing with all of that, and then slowly realizing that it was like a con and a hoax, and and that's depressing, and you feel so betrayed. Um, I don't know. I kind of stopped really caring what the church had to do because it ended up either being too triggering, or I just didn't want to. I was like, I spent twenty years being a scholar, I don't want to give another thought to this. And so I went the other side and I tried to forget everything. And so that was around the time when you were like, Hey, you want to go to my podcast? And I'm like, I would rather die. Like, <laughs> I don't want to think about it for another second. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So the, the reason I'm doing this now is because I feel like I've had enough time to process and to also live the other life of not having to think about it, not having to spend any time processing any more than all the t- the work that I put in. And now I'm like, okay, yeah, before I completely forget it, <laughs> let's record it. <laughs> so. I like that. You've kind of opened my eyes because I get frustrated sometimes when ex-Mormons, he knows who he is, okay? It's Bishop Jesse. <laughs> I, I get frustrated sometimes because he really does, and he is, and it's it's what's best for him. Um, he'll probably think it's funny that I mentioned him on the podcast. Um, and him and his family are just great. I get frustrated because he will, you know, he takes breaks and he steps away and he's like, I want to be, I want to be over it for a while. Like, yeah. and I'm like, no, nah, man, like, let's, let's tear this let's tear the shit down. You know, like, I, yeah. I want to, I want to be like that. And so I'm not necessarily, I was, I mean, I am now. Um, I'm not always respectful of when ex Mormons take that approach, but you presenting it this way helps me see and understand why so many ex Mormons do have to take that route. And young, young Yalala herself, who previous episode is dedicated in her holy name, um, <laughs> her saint <laughs> uh, did say that she recommends that ex-cult survivors take five years mm-hmm. not to deep dive not to be activists not to fight against you just need five years to be just a normal person just so after that five years you are 
Yeah, that, that's what she says. You need to figure out who you are. You need to heal before you get back in. Yeah. Because otherwise you can, it's, um, otherwise you can even avoid your own healing because yeah. you just go into go mode because cults demand so much work from you. Right, we were we were like scholars, like you <laughs> yeah, deep dude. dive shit, shit, literary analysis shit of all the time. And I think you and I even had our own Bible study outside of all the other Bible studies. We were the Bible study. We were like, the Bible study. We were. I also single handedly kept that choir going for like three years. So long. <laughs> I saved. I saved gospel doctrine so many goddamn times. <laughs> so many wasted efforts with my beautiful lessons. One day I'll be a professor because Jesus Christ. <laughs> I did so good, and it was like, like dude, I just loved learned. your relief society. Those slapped, <laughs> like I was so good at explaining things in a deep and beautiful face, and I use my powers for good now, and not to help a multi-level marketing scheme called <laughs> the church. Um, but Yoni Lalich does recommend that because it gives you time to really heal, because otherwise you can, in the process of activism. And just going hard, you're still taking that energy, that action that the cult or cults make you do. Um, so you're still a hamster on a still wheel. Still getting robbed. You're still getting robbed of yourself. Yeah, you're still working way too damn hard um, without knowing you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're working too damn hard without knowing you. Because there are people who do spend their careers fighting against cults. I don't think that's wrong. And I will be one of those people eventually. Um, like, I don't do a lot of activism right now or anything. I feel like this podcast is pretty active. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm going to cry. That's my greatest joy. That's literally my greatest joy is I imagine that there's some little ex-Mormons who get a little tired of all the other ex-Mormons being from the same three states, being the same race, being the same sexuality. Yeah. There's very, very – that's why I, I pride myself on the diversity that I try to bring on this podcast – because if I have to hear one, <laughs> it's so rude. I sound so hateful. There, I love the ex-Mormon community. They're my homies. We are homies. I didn't fit in as a Mormon. So when I come into ex-Mormon spaces and people the are just. The probability is low that you'll fit in there. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when they're speaking like freaking, I don't know, when they're just not. When they're not fighting racism, when they're not fighting sexism, when they're, oh, Jesus. It's like, yeah. this is unrelatable again to me, you know? Yeah. Like, Well, the biggest it's, it's, one that I have a hard time with is a perfectly valid and wonderful experience of realizing that everyone else around you hardcore believes this, and you thought it was a joke, you thought it was a fake story. But I can't hear that again because I took it so seriously. I yeah. was so deeply invested and so caught into it that if I hear another ex-Mormon be like, yeah, I never really got what it was in the first place. I'm like, you're validating everything I felt for 20 years. <laughs> no, we're, I mean, it's why you fit in with our guests because like, I don't know if you've heard Sugar Cane's episode, but like he was a dry hard, you know, like so yeah. many of us, so many of us were so many of the guests that have come on here, Laban to, you know, um, and then even the people that never dove in all the way still had moments where they were mm -hmm. like, wait, I think this is true. Um, 
experience is valid and everyone needs to hear similar to theirs, which is that's why the we point. keep talking and that's why we have multiple podcasts and multiple <laughs> and that's why your work is never done because you know maybe my story is not relatable but the next one will be you know like thank you for PRing my statement where I just sound like so I was about welcome. to light up and roast these poor non-indigenous ex-Mormons there's nothing wrong with them but I I desire the representation that I create I desire exactly. it I need it and so <laughs> thank you for saying that activism because that's I, I eventually do want to do that as a career like I do want to mm -hmm. destroy the church and but it's easy the biggest thing, not to go on my own personal rant about activism but I do feel like the main thing is helping people um, have accessibility to getting the records removed because that is a fucking mind game of a labyrinth rat race. Like that you, there's no way to get out. Like, quit Mormon, quit Mormon dot, dot org. I'll send you the link. I had to go through him through a lawyer to do it. I, I yeah, that's what I had to do. Cause I needed to, that's, that's fair. There's a, he was on Mormon stories, but there's so many thousands of episodes of that. It's hard yeah. to find which one you need, you know? But I'll, I'll send you his stuff. Boosting that information. Hey, guys, if you want to get your records removed. <laughs> yeah, quitmormon.org. Um, they're awesome. He does it for free. And that was weirdly stressful because I had to go print it at the library. And that whole experience like, gave me a heart attack. Because mm. the people at the library are like, what are you printing? And so all these people are like seeing these. And I started to get emotional because like, it wasn't oh, going no. right. And I literally said, I was like, I'm trying to leave a cult. And they're like, oh, my God, like the poor little librarian. Like, what is going on? And I'm just like a teary eyed. And I was like, I was part of something that I'm trying to not be a part of anymore. And I'm trying, like, it, was, it was crazy. It was madness. It was madness. That's um, so stressful. Yeah, it was weird. Mind your goddamn business. <laughs> I don't know, literally, it was so, it was wild. Because I'm a printer, because I'm under the age of 35. <laughs> it's so true okay people only need to 35 we don't own our own house and we don't have printers so just get out yeah. of my face yeah. jesus but that's that's fair um thank you for saying that's actors that makes me feel good and all those other ex-mormon podcasts are relevant and are important and i do love them love 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 them even if we aren't super relatable to each other we mm -hmm. are one in the journey we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. <laughs> brothers and sisters in the Antichrist. In the Antichrist. Um, you know, I ride for my bitches and I die for my bitches. We're all, we're all of us ex-Mormons. Honestly, I identify with ex-cult survivors. Like, if you used to be yeah. a Jadab or a Scientologist, I'm like, let's join hands. And it's just the movie Us. But let's, as a tethered, rise up and join hands. Um, yeah. Oh, and then I wanted to ask, there are many, many tangents, where are you in terms of your spirituality, if you care to speak on it? You don't have to speak on yeah. it, it's a testimony meeting, but <laughs> speak on So, okay, so this is a fun answer. I feel like you're not going to get this very often. I have given up completely on any search of religion or spirituality at all, because, here's the thing, I have not found medication for my OCD that allows me to uh, divulge in any other universe's meaning because this is the track. This is where it goes. My brain hears, oh, if you say your affirmations in the morning, it'll help with your goals. 
And then my brain says, so you haven't done your affirmations? I think you're actually a bad person and you'll never get anything in your life. So it's like, all right. And I don't want to deal with that every day. So anything I hear about new ways of looking at the universe or methods about succeeding or happiness or uh, any sort of, I just, nothing to all of it. The answer is no. (laughs) And I avoid anything that makes my OCD worse because I, I can't function and I am not going to deep dive into the same exact behavior that my OCD victimized me um, with their church. The church has its own flaws. My OCD was my biggest flaw (laughs) or issue that I had. And so they're probably, I don't know, let's say Hindu is the correct church. I am not sane or stable enough to delve into anything else. (laughs) My, I guess my religion now is mental health. And that's the compass that I go by. If it makes me more stressed and anxiety, I don't do it. And if it brings me more peace, then I will. Um, I have some overarching principles, like I do think that you should be wise with your money, be kind to all people, um, try to connect with your family, but cut off anyone who's racist. Um, like, I, do have, <laughs> I do have basic principles, and they are the most basic, and um, honestly, a lot of them do align with the church's principles, like kindness and loving your neighbor. Um But if it's any more demanding and any daily sort of, I have to do it or I'm a bad person. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) And I'm very happy now. That's the way. And that's the tea (laughs) or the cheese or whatever. I, I think that's solid. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We have a lot of guests with different answers to that and listeners too. Um, I have my own spirituality that I, that I do, um, that I'm into. So mm-hmm. rock on. I'm not, I'm also not threatened by other people's faiths or lack yeah. thereof. God. I do um, feel a, not threatened is the right word. I don't want to hear about any other one's religions, mostly because my OCD kind of latches on to things I hear. And it's like, it's like being in custody of a toddler that wants to grab everything and put it in its mouth. And so sometimes I ha- can't go to the party because there's things at their party that I don't want in the toddler's mouth. So, <laughs> so until I get good medication, that's going to stop the toddler. Um, <laughs> I don't like having conversations with people about their philosophies about the universe. And I'll just be like, that's cool. And then like immediately try and forget it. So that's on me and my therapist to figure that out. <laughs> but that's, but that's awesome. where I am right now. So. People really, it is triggering when people go off on their, their own testimonials. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, okay, that's not, I don't want to sound like I just roast Christians all day, but <laughs> I kind of, I kind of need them to stop. <laughs> I kind of need them to, because well, if someone specifically says, hey, do you believe in ghosts? And I say, yeah, I believe in ghosts. And they're like, what about, you know, like, do you believe that there is someone watching on us from on high? Then you can answer those specific questions. But if you're out here being like, we need to have positive language or else we're destroying energies left and right. So instead of saying you're killing it, say you brought life to this party. I am going to, I can't like, don't tell me how to live my life. Good for you. 
I don't need to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. That's so fair. I, I, I used to judge those people that would be like, you know, really not want to talk to missionaries and stuff. But now I'm like, no, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. So if I happen to overhear a conversation where people are talking about religion, I don't judge them. I just move on. I try to not hear it. And I'm in a good place with my family. They're very respectful about my... It took a while. It took them a minute. But they're doing great with respecting that I can't talk about religion. And they've even... We've had these conversations where I said, hey, this is how my OCD works. So if it, it... You know... I think that for them, it's given them peace to realize that my mental health is my biggest inhibitor and not that I just desire to be a sinful heathen and they can understand it from a mental health perspective. So that's like my biggest like excuse that I can pull and just be like, hey, I'm not being, you know, an evil heathen. I'm just mental health and everyone, well, everyone I've talked to can agree mental health is a good thing. So, <laughs> like, yeah. It gets people out of the church. That's just the truth. <laughs> Mary Mary Magdalene, my sister, has a super funny quote that she's mentioned before where she's like, any Mormon goes to therapy, they're going to find their way out. (laughs) It's just the way that it is because there's so many things that are just unhealthy. That also depends on the own member's willingness to open up about what is actually hurting them. Because I know plenty of active True Blue members that will not ever say anything negative about the church even in a therapist's office well you're not allowed to and also a lot of these mormons are getting their therapists from lds services damn and that bias is that bias is real like it should be illegal it's what it should be i don't think any religion should have their own therapists no, 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 no. There, there's a website too if you want to find a therapist for religious trauma. And in order for you to be on that website, you cannot have a faith. You cannot have a religion because yeah. it's just too goddamn triggering for people. And yeah. like that, that's fair. And you don't have to say like, "Oh, I'm an atheist," but you can't be. I believe in blah blah blah. I believe in the meatball yeah. monster that comes down once a year, bearing meatball gifts to people and throwing spaghetti at their doors. You can't believe in anything. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, you just can't because it's too it's too much. So that's that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're out of the church. You're out of the closet. I am out of the closet. Yeah. The the same summer that I was like, I'm going to try not going to church. I came out as bisexual, I think a week later. (laughs) As it needed to be done. As it needed to be done. That's 21 years in and out of the closet. (laughs) Which, hey, is shorter than some people, so I'll count my blessings. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Also, no pressure to anybody listening to come out of the closet. You come out on your own time. No pressure. Um, So... We'll celebrate you whenever you do, listeners. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Do you have any other thoughts or points we didn't hit on? Um. No, I think we've got everything. Um, There's a lot of subliminal messaging that other members and the culture of the church is also a big problem. And I think that whether you believe it's because the church has flaws that they create such a toxic culture or or the church separate from its toxic culture, those are two things that have their own mess to deal with and are 
equally as valid of their harmfulness. <laughs> Word. Word. And we also have some topics we will bring you back for if you want to. But again, you don't have to. Because, and honestly, the church, it not being true, is a huge thing. And I'm happy that you said that. I'm happy that you brought it up. And I'm happy that you went there and mentioned that. Um, to quote Luna Lindsay, because I also read their book, Recovering Agency. They're not, like, credentialed or anything, so take that with a grain of salt. But it, it's not a bad book. They're just some stuff that they cite that I'm like, that's not. Anyways, they yeah. got the uh, Stanley Milgram experiment wrong. <laughs> like, they like they mentioned it, and I was like, that's not how that experiment went, weirdo. Oh. Anyways... <laughs> But but it's still there's still there's still there's still good things to get from yeah. their books. So like read um, with a grain of salt. <laughs> yes, exa- exactly. Read this with other books. Um, Luna Lindsay says the easy thing would have been if the church was true. Yeah. That would have been the easiest, and that like really hit me and that really helped me because I mm-hmm. really struggled with that too. Um, God, was- it's almost like I didn't want twenty years of. <laughs> work wasted like that was not the priority <laughs> to find that out <laughs> i have sirens in the background per usual per usual it's a, it's a regular with heavenly mother um <laughs> his prime follows me i guess or it's it's a medical emergency i don't know i can't tell the sirens apart they're all scary to me um <laughs> but yeah they they do mention that in the book like wouldn't it actually have been easier if there truly was a prophet who spoke to god who truly could lead the world to truth and righteousness, who really did yeah. have a book from an angel, wouldn't that act? And I'm like, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And also, like, for those who can't get a therapist, a lot of normal things don't feel normal when you're experiencing them. Like, um, going about your day and then thinking something in lines of the gospel and then ha- taking a moment and realizing it's false and being like, I just made a completely inaccurate statement in my head because I'm still conditioned by the church and then being distressed by that completely normal. You're fine. Uh, like, church nightmares are normal. Church nightmares. Church I want to do an episode. I have to find, if I have fun, a guest that's like willing to go down this dark little rabbit hole. We just talk about our church nightmares. I have to find someone <laughs> willing and able. So everyone's like, please don't. I would rather, I would rather do anything else. Um, because church nightmares are still a thing. Even I experience it every now and then it happens less. Um, but that's very, very normal. Church nightmares are normal. A lot of uh, panic randomly. You'll be like five months living your life, super happy. All of a sudden, gut-wrenching panic that you made a mistake and you're going to hell. <laughs> and they they slowly peter off. But that gut-wrenching fear is as potent as it was the first time. <laughs> God, that is normal. I, I didn't get that, but... I don't know. Maybe it's because I like deep dove into other cult survivors and was like, help me <laughs> in the waters. Help. So, I mean, I, yeah, I read Leah Remini's, you know, uh, Scientology book. I read Sarah Edmondson's. I read so much of other people experiencing something similar to what it was like to be an ex-Mormon. Um, the, yeah, there, I, I think there needs to be a push for more literature and more ther- therapy specifically for our demographic. Yeah. Because um, there, there is some ex-Mormon stuff, but it's, like, very Christian, and I'm not. And so it doesn't, again, not super yeah. relevant to me. Look at me complaining about how I'm not represented. 
by, <laughs> by this group that I'm a part of. Everyone else is doing it wrong. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's me as a person. I think that's me as a toxic Capricorn energy. <laughs> that's so funny. I'm not even super big into astrology, but I just think it's funny, like, <laughs> people bring that, like, I hit your car because I'm an asparagus. Like, <laughs> I, I like it. But some people take that like it's a religion. Like, they take uh, yeah. that weird. I, I had a friend that was very much, in, I don't know if it was Wiccan specifically, but something of that realm of, like, a pagan witchcraft with, like, zodiacs. And I was like, hey, I'm not going to talk about Mormonism. You're not going to talk about that. And then I left the church and I was like, hey, I still don't want to hear about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I'm still not cool. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Now they're lying about historical events. Like, on I'm, I'm a huge TikToker. Like, I don't make videos. I just watch them all yeah. the time. Um, like, witch talk is out of control. <laughs> they're so out of control. They're so... Out of, they're, like, literally lying about historical events right now. Oh, my god! I'm like, please stop. Like, they're putting chin tattoos on. I'm like, this is a witch thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's indigenous. It's thing. Thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the Mojave to the Inupak. I hope I said that right. Inupak. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not good at names. Um... But yeah, it's it's hilarious. It's so, it's just another pendulum swing, you know. Yeah. And if you are a witchy person, that's fine. But like, yeah. please don't make it culty and don't yeah. lie about historical events. Don't shame people into believing what you believe. Don't infringe people's you know privacy and space and comfort for what you believe. And like, there's so many things that just have boundaries, please, for the love of Christ, like. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fair man so many tangents this one's a long one but it's a goodie and if people have made it this far good for them you can break it up into a couple days if it's too much at once uh, um, we, could, we can close out now though <laughs> that, that's fair yeah. that's fair um who do you want to close in the name of therapists um, <laughs> That toxic Capricorn energy. You mean me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll close out in Heavenly Mother. <laughs> oh my god! No. no, but yes, I I'll should make it not about me. Yes, I agree. Therapist. I will say the two therapists, the one that got me out of my mission, and the other one that got me out of the church. I hope they're both at my wedding someday. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that would be a violation of your confidentiality. Aww, so they might yeah. not. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they remember you, and I'm sure they appreciate you. Yeah. Like, I, I know it. I know it. And every every therapist has their own unique bond, professional bond, with their client. Like, mm -hmm. I can speak as a mental health person. We are rooting for you when you come in. And we don't judge you like people think we do. Like, yeah. first off, my life is full of its own drama. I, I can't remember you to judge yours. <laughs> literally, and it, it takes a lot of mental energy, as you know, to make those judgments. And it's like, I nope, we need to come up with solutions here. I'm no. not trying to judge you. I'm trying to come up with solutions with you. So it's just not, it's just very different. So. And they also, don't they train you to like see anything like flaws wise as like just an, a factor of some diagnosis or whatever instead of like them specifically 
Yeah, we go to, like, bias training all the time. And also, like, if you're someone who's, like, super judgy in that way, people can tell. Mm-hmm. And not just, like, there are clients who have anxiety, so they think everyone's negatively judging them. But people, like, I'm not someone who's prone to anxiety. So I can pick up on things in a different way. But I just, yeah, I just, mm, it's hard. Like, I, I really want people to feel comfortable, and I think the majority of therapists do. Yeah, um, and so there are bad therapists out there. Get a different yeah, one. There are. Like yours. <laughs> Mine was a Mormon man who took everything personally. I've Jesus, and fell asleep in session. True story. <gasps> no, three times. Horrifying. And he was late, and so I was late to teach him a lesson. And he was like, "It seems like you can only forgive people after you hurt them." And I'm like, "That's Jesus what's the problem?" Fucking Christ. I will never change. <laughs> when I said that to him, I was like, that's not an issue to me. I'm not here to I fix have, that. When I when I was looking for therapists to work out the whole, why did my the prophecy, or not the prophecy, why did the prompting go wrong? The guy I was talking to was like, so why do you think you uh, are hearing voices? And I was like, all right, we're done. <laughs> no, I would never say that to a client. Oh, my God. I lost fifteen minutes in his office. And I walked out the if door. If you were, if you were hearing voices, not they the way it has. They don't know why either. No one's like, you know, I know exactly why I hear voices. They wouldn't need to be there. They wouldn't need to be You're there. So right. Like asking why, like you, you know what you do at that point because I've done it. You give some psycho ed. Like actually, hallucinations when you're highly stressed are normal. Doesn't mean you're crazy. Doesn't mean temporary psychosis. Like psychosis is a symptom. It's not a full-on diagnosis. It's not. People can <laughs> literally be psychotic that are completely normal. They're just in a psychotic episode due to a plethora yeah. of factors. But, but anyway, them, why? <laughs> like why? Like I don't know. It's like asking them, like why are you depressed? Like they wouldn't be here if they knew why. They'd fix it. Also, the fact that I'm not hearing voices. I thought I had a prompting from God. Don't twist my words that way. <laughs> no, like seriously, that isn't even. Yeah. Anyway, you know I left him and found someone going. else. So <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say a classic Heavenly Mother. I'm not surprised it was a man. Jeez, <laughs> right, poor we... if you've made it this far, we will wrap up. It will happen. <laughs> it's like general conference just keeps going for the love of God. At least we don't have like that super saliva smile when we talk. <laughs> We don't have that hypnotic speech pattern that just lulls you into <laughs> hypno- literally hypnosis. Straight up, it is hypnosis. And that's why when people stop reading the scriptures and going to the church and going to the temple, they feel better because they're not being fucking brainwashed. <laughs> True story. Ugh. Anyways, we're closing in the name of therapists. I will Good have therapist. the power. You have to stop this recording because you're the host on this one. You have right. the power. So close it right, in the name to. of a good therapist. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs>